How's her highness? She's got a boyfriend. A what? I've only got a small crew, but I'm looking to upsize. Anything you want to? Hey, if the money's right, I'll be with him. <laughs> hey. Hey. What's up? Who are you? I'm Adrian. Hello, 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 everyone. This is Killer Casting. I'm Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director in Los Angeles. And as you all know, we are deep diving into the amazing FX show that I'm watching on Hulu, Mr. In Between. We've got so much to talk about. We're going to be going over episode three, which I really feel like this episode kind of was a big pivot point. This is where all the changes are coming into play, I think, in Ray Shoe Smith's life. But before we get to that, let's say hello to my sexy beast. Sexy beast number one, introduce yourself, please. Brian A. Hill, what's going on? Hello, hello, hello. And Sexy Beast number two is here today. Greetings, folks from Down Under. Looking forward to uh, recapping episode three, which is titled All I Ever Wanted. All I Ever Wanted. I don't even remember who says that. Um, Okay, so real changes are happening in this episode. So we open up here with this, this sort of, this, I guess, comedy of errors scene of Gaz peeping into his ex. I forget what his ex's name was. Tatiana. Tatiana, Tatiana. something Russian. Yeah. So he he, he, he calls her Tat. Tat, right. Um, So he's seeing her making out with her new girlfriend. So Gaz is all to pieces because apparently his, his wife has left him and he calls Ray to help him get down because he's stuck on this thing. What did you make of this first scene? Because I have a theory that this scene only exists for one reason. But go ahead, guys. What did you think of this opening in this scene? It's an entree into Gaz getting the the garage space that Bruce mm-hmm. occupied. It reestablishes their relationship that Gaz gets into trouble. Ray bails him out and it kind of establishes how the rest of the season is going to go between them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I mean, it's, yeah. I know that's a little pedestrian, but that's how I just kind of felt that way. I mean, it's a very funny scene, but it, after seeing the entire episode that it's felt like an establishing kind of scene. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm. Dean, what did you think? Well, it was quite lengthy for what it did as well. It soaked up about a third of the episode. And yeah. um, I thought it was funny from a number of perspectives, like there's Gaz, you know, at the car later saying, oh, my marriage is over, whatever. Later on, we're going to talk about Gary's sex toys, but we already know from the PP guy and whatever. The idea that he'd be upset about some girl on girl action, even if it did feature his wife was kind of funny. But a couple of things, I just recently watched, rewatched the Australian classic a crime series Blue Murder and in it every one of these crooked cops and, and gangsters they're always having lunch in a Chinese restaurant so I don't know whether that reflects the time and they thought that it was the thing to do that they all went to Chinese restaurants. But so often we see Ray eating in a Chinese restaurant True. and that's where he takes the call from Gaz yeah. with those immortal lines from Gaz, mate, I'm in trouble. I need your help. Can you help me? <laughs> For the I love 18th time in the series. Yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah i'm in a bit of a pickle that's just classic guys so the only the, person that ray puts up exactly for me the only interesting part of that whole sequence is after gaz finally gets onto the ground and he's just to pieces over the situation with his wife and he says you know how long did it take for you to get over Allie?" and then ray says yeah. who 
who says I have. And for me, that was the most important part of that entire yep. sequence. So now Ray is going over to meet his new boss. And this is pretty swanky digs, right? It's a yacht. Yep. And uh, so, folks, we did actually interview uh, Damon Harriman. And so we kind of asked him about this scene. The new boss, whose name is Raphael, who is like a little bit meaty, a little bit sweaty. His hair is a little too long. I mean, he's just, oh, I just, he just really skeeves me out in some kind of way. And Freddie is there too, looking very dapper in like a Tommy Bahama shirt or something like that. But Freddie doesn't say much in this scene. He, I think he only has two words that he says. He's just sort of sitting there nodding and hoping that Ray will come and work for this new boss, Raphael. So what do you guys think of this tete-a-tete on the yacht? It's certainly a different dynamic between Ray and Raphael as opposed to Ray and Freddie. I mean, it mm-hmm. felt very much like a pissing contest. Ray was being himself, and Raphael was hard to describe, reacting like, oh, look at the balls on this guy. Again, like this kind of pissing contest. And Ray deciding like, hey, I'm not the kind of guy who works for somebody. They're both kind of challenging each other. I got the sense that Raphael is going to be more formidable in the future mm-hmm. as an employer, certainly, than Freddie. This is a different game being played. And I got the same sense, that whole fucking Greek. Yeah, yes, sorry, Greeks. Any right. of our sorry. Greek friends no, out there, but you know what we apologies. mean. Apologies, you know, yeah. You know but that like, stereotype, that stereotype. Onassis that we've, we've kind of, uh, yes, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like garage, you know, gauche. Euro yeah. trash. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. And, you know, the, it's so funny because yeah. Freddie, I mean, I'm looking at the scene right now and Freddie is just smiling and drinking champagne and anything, you know, Raphael says, Freddie's like nodding and he tries the caviar and, and he's just definitely such a pleaser in this scene where Ray is just mm. like, I could take this or leave this. There's one scene where the camera, there's a um, an internal from the boat looking out to them on the table and I noticed the name of the boat and I just looked it up and you can actually rent this super yacht in and sail it around Sydney Harbour. It's called the Argo. So if Mr. Inbetween fans, if you're cashed up and you come to Sydney, you can be on that very yacht. The actor playing Raphael is a very well-known actor here in Australia called Jeremy Sims. He was in a lot of soap operas uh, back in the day and he's transformed now into more of a writer and director. So he's got a big resume here in Australia and he's playing this weird role that I don't know whether he was directed to do this as the character or whether as Raphael, he's he's doing this, and that is that he's very hammy, and like he says to Ray, "Oh, what happened? You know, what did you, how did it go down?" And Ray's like, "What?" He goes, "Oh, you know, Johnny Trent." Ray explains about the prison napalm, and Raphael's got this over-the-top reaction. He sort of mock horror looking at um, Freddie who's laughing and smiling and then mm-hmm. Raphael does this thing with his hands oh napalm over the face the skin and he looks at Freddie and Freddie laughs and mimics him doing this and I just found the whole scene uh, not unbelievable from a character you know from the show point of view but I was just curious about whether that was the real Raphael trying to play uh, Ray a bit or it was just the way that they decided to shoot it but I thought that was a it was a very weird scene. And it made me wonder too, uh, Freddie being such a people pleaser and the sort of guy that can get these people like Raphael who come into the series out of nowhere, but they obviously they're known to Freddie. And the way that he did that also with his hands, like that mimicking, you know, when people mimic body language to ingratiate themselves mm-hmm. with people. I wondered about that kind of thing. And I think the key thing that after this scene is when Raphael says to Ray, what won't you do? 
And Ray's, Ray laughs and says, oh, shit, you know, I'll do anything for the right money. And then at the very end, Raphael and Ray, both of them bond over busting Freddie for mm-hmm. lying about how he loves the caviar. And there's like a little moment there where they, they go, mm, yeah, you're, and, you know, Raph goes, yeah, you're the right guy for me. So Ray goes to pick up Britty. <laughs> and again, I, I've said this before, you know, I love this role of the ex-wife of Jacinta because she's just giving him the heads up, okay. <laughs> Good luck. Her highness is in a mood and she's got a boyfriend. Pow! I mean, <laughs> this is just, he thinks well, he, he can handle anything, but this is. Well, and the heartbreaking thing for me with this scene is the callback to the bowling scene, right? Uh, from season two. Yeah. He's got a couple lanes and she's like, what, bowling? Ugh. And it's like, well, why don't you want to go? It's like, I'm 12. It's like, oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, and she plays it so, she's a pro. I mean, she really is. She's so present in this role. Every time she comes on screen, I, she's great. And both of them together are yeah. just Yeah, fantastic. it's really great. And since we've obviously seen more episodes since this, kind of catching up here, but the way that Scott Ryan has crafted this relationship, how it arcs over the next couple of episodes, I think is just so brilliant. Because in this scene, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're having dinner and she's talking a big game about, I'm going to have all kinds of boyfriends. And I feel that she's testing him. She's boundary testing him. And it's just kind of great yeah. that, he doesn't overwrite this scene. They're just kind of have these great natural little conversations where it's not like we were talking a minute ago, Brian, it's not like a lifetime movie where anything is learned. Right. You know? It's the same notion of like having the physical activity there. The principal thing is they're having dinner whilst having this conversation. Mm-hmm. There's this kind of natural action that's happening where this conversation can just be free flowing like it would over a meal. She asked him about divorce and are you ever going to get married again? And you know what? It, it occurs to me that she's lost a lot too. talked about talked and talked mm. about what Ray has lost, but she's lost her uncle Bruce, who was just such an amazing presence in her life. And she's lost Allie, who she really loves. They've lost the dog. I totally forgot about that. They lost their yeah. dog. I was just kind of realizing that, yes, she's trying to recover from that as well. And she's testing him here with I'm going to have lots of boyfriends. I thought that was very cheeky. So next is a woo, another punch in the balls he gets when he's out and about and he sees who does he see coming out of a store? Well, it's the very next scene. They mm-hmm. literally cut from Brit and him talking about divorce and couples and whatever. The very next cut is to this, which is, uh, of course, him bumping into a pregnant Ellie. Very, very pregnant Ellie. She looks just glowing and beautiful in this little pastel blue dress. And it's just a great, bittersweet scene. And as we were saying to Nick Kassam when we interviewed him, she asks how Bruce is. And when Ray has to tell her that Bruce has passed, she's genuinely sad. You just really feel his presence or his absence, I guess. At first, when I saw her, I sort of went, oh, my God, could that be? I went, oh, no, it's been 12 months more. No, that's not. <laughs> I know, I, thought, oh, I know. Just I for know. half a second, I was like, oh, my God, plot twist. He's, you know, she's carrying his baby. But I was like, no, the mess doesn't add up. Uh, okay. Now, I don't remember. Did we yeah. ever meet her new boyfriend before? Because the way no. that she no. gets into the car or, or she, he kind of waves at her husband or boyfriend and he's he just looks like such a nice guy, just a Nick normal guy. I thought that was just a wonderfully felt scene. I don't know what it was, but something made me curious about him. And I actually dug in and researched him. You know, when we spoke to Scott, 
And I pointed out that there was a cameo by David Michaud and, uh-huh. and another one by Nash himself. And we asked him, well, did you bury anyone else that we hadn't noticed? He said, oh, Nash put a whole ton of people in there that he just knew. Now, that boyfriend of Ali's, uh-huh. when I looked him up, he's a director that's been taken under the wing of Nash at Blue Tongue. He's got a couple of projects that are sort of underway. So he's absolutely part of the Edgerton Blue Tongue Mafia. Love it. So he's not some random guy. He's another one of those little inserts. Love it. Love it. Love it. What really hit me in that scene between him and Ellie, which was very short, was, you know, they're talking about being happy. Mm-hmm. And and he says, are you happy? And she says, yes, I am. And she looks like she is as well. And she says, are you happy? Now, he pulls another one of those faces where he sort of sucks his lips in over his teeth and he uh-huh. says, I'll get there. And that is a line. It's as close as he can come to saying, no, not really. But he doesn't want to admit that. Mm-hmm. Right. But mm, I'll get there. So it's almost like a He has that regret, but it's Ray being Ray. He's not going to admit that. And then when he hugs her and he says she's happy, he said, that's what I want for you. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was really sweet. Oh, Mm. oh, heartbreaker. Okay. So from that kick in the balls, Ray comes home and he gets another one right to the junk because he comes home and (laughs) Brittany is there and sitting next to her is Junior Junior Douchebag. Just a snot-nosed little skater rat kid who's just trying to be a man. This couldn't be a worse. Yeah, fist bump could not be a worse choice for her to bring home. They're like a closed system. The Mm. boyfriend does his thing, but Brittany's like in her phone. Like she's Mm -hmm. not even like going to engage with with Ray at all. And then goes back to they go back together, leaving him kind of by the fridge going. Yeah. What the F? They've literally got their backs to him, right? So they've got A, the TV going, and this resonates with me as a father of children growing up at Brit's age and now older, but they've got the TV on, she's got the phone going. At one point, she shows him something on the phone, on the couch, whilst the TV's on, and he has a little bit of a chuckle. And so they're multi-streaming sort of typical teenage bubble. And I recall coming home to my own house one day, and my daughter had four or five friends over, and they're all sitting around the lounge room on their phones. And so that struck me straight away that every single one of them was on their phone, mm-hmm. and they're all within at my lounge room, right? And the TV's not on, and they're just on their devices. And I kind of rolled my eyes. And then simultaneously they all burst out laughing and I went wait a minute are you guys like and there's not a word of dialogue between them right they're not they're not talking to each other I go are you all like texting and messaging at each other and they're, and they're like yeah and I'm just my mind is blowing up so I was reminded of that scene. I remember Paul and I sitting on the couch we're watching tv but we're each on our laptops and we're also texting each other. I mean, what is society is just falling I, apart. You my, know? my best friend and I, we do a bit where one of us will be on our phones and the other one will text to the other guy, like, why are you texting me? I'm sitting right next to you. <laughs> we just wait to get the reaction. <laughs> it's a good bit. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so that's a that, that was quite a day for Ray. So it's in the evening and he gets a call again. I mean, this is a day that is just the ringer for him. He gets a call from uh, what is the police station that 
His father has been brought to the station because he accidentally had a fire wherever he's living. And at first, Ray is not, he's like, so, you know, I, I don't really have anything to do with him, but he does end up going down to pick his father up. Oh, man. I it's mean, heartbreaking. I mean, it's the, heartbreaking. Yeah, go for the, it. The disarray of the old man, like from what we've seen before, he's just not himself at all. He doesn't recognize Ray. It's like, is confused. And that's the thing. Like this series, again, like every moment is so, feels so real. It's brutal. Right. But he, he takes him in. He takes yeah, he takes him home for that night yeah. at least yeah yeah, um, this feels like, again, as you said, Lisa, about, you know, this whole episode is starting to sort of, we're starting to see some chickens come home to roost for Ray, that life is changing. It's not the same as series one and two. And this sort of is, uh, as you said, is echoing Bruce's words, you know, forgive the old man, Ray's reluctance to do that. And yet here he is with now dad. Well, and it house. feels like the first two episodes were about setting the tone for kind of Ray's evolution. Mm -hmm. This feels like, setting up the pins for the rest of the season, nuts and bolts. Yeah, this is a very definitely a reactive episode. Things are changing once again, huge, hugely changing. So uh, Ray's asleep on top of his covers. He hears a noise. He reaches for his gun. He goes to the door. He almost shoots Gaz, who's in his skivvies and uh, drinking milk out of the carton from the, you know. Um, and and almost falling out, almost falling out, like... <laughs> It's hilarious. I, I, yeah. I didn't want to look that close. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hard to miss. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. profile. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they realize that his father has gone out the door and they both go running down the street in their bare feet trying to find him. And there is poor Dada, Papa, walking naked down the street. And I mean, for those of us who have, you know, this is not that far away from something our family experienced. And it's just such a, defeated feeling when you see your loved one or even not your loved one in that kind of a state that sort of utter confusion and he you know has his father wrap his jacket around his waist to cover him up and kind of just gently walks him back home that shot down the street mm -hmm. where he's by himself it's such a great shot mm, yeah it is really well composed so there we go. That's episode three. And whew, off we go to a lot of change and a lot of introspection for Ray moving forward. Anything else you guys want to say about episode three? I've got more to say in the next episode, but after re-watching episode four, I am now insanely curious about the process of the songs that they have chosen to use over the closing titles. Hmm. Uh, they've been very eclectic, but I suspect after rep four, which I'll get to, that there is actually some very, there's something much deeper that I don't just randomly you know, throw songs in there. This one was Chris Christopherson's Sunday Morning Coming Down, which is a story of a recovering, not recovering, but a guy with a hangover waking up with a hangover. I can't work out what that relates to, to this particular episode, but the next one very much, and I'll cover that later. But anyway, I'm going to reinvestigate their closing title songs. G'day listeners, subscribers, uh, fellow Mr. Inbetween fans, which we assume you must be if you're listening to this episode. We certainly hope you like it. But coming up, we've got some episodes that we feel you are not going to like. That's because you are going to love them. Because in just over the next week or so, we are going to start dropping, not recaps, we thought we might talk to some of the people involved in Mr. Inbetween. You might know some little actors like mm, 
Nicholas Cassum, who, of course, plays Ray's brother, the beautiful character Bruce. You might know a little actor by the name of Damon Herriman, famous the world over these days, Dewey and Justified, amongst many other things. He's just returned from working with Tarantino and David Fincher, and, of course, plays Freddy on Mr. In Between. And we've given a leg up to a, a new bloke, uh, someone new to the industry, first-time actor, first-time writer, a little guy you might have heard of by the name of Scott fucking Ryan, is on the pod. And, by the way, people say he doesn't answer questions. Well, guess what? He answers ours. So... Keep an eye on that podcast feed. Look for these eps as they drop into your podcast catcher of choice. And let me tell you, if you have half as much fun listening to them as we did recording them, then you are in for a treat. Stay tuned. Ray? You free? Got a job for you. Are you still banging hits? Yeah. I gotta make money. More important things are money. You just gonna stand there? She's somebody's daughter. You gotta ask yourself, why am I doing this? Let's sprint right on into episode four. So it's Cut the Crap Princess. Yup, yup, yup. Wow. Um, this was, uh, yeah, this was, uh, um, this was oh, terrifying. Shit. This was a terrifying episode. <laughs> Chekhov's gun is what this was. Ooh, yes. Now, you want to explain right. to the nice people oh, what that means? Yeah, Chekhov's gun is in theater. Whenever you bring a gun on stage, the focus of the audience will always be on the gun. It's like creates a, an immediate sense of danger mm-hmm. and it has to be used. That's you don't introduce a gun. It. Yeah. You never, you don't just introduce a gun for no reason. If something, right. somebody has a gun for whatever reason, you know that somebody's going to die by that gun, <laughs> you know, there's, but there's it always, a- and it, it does, it does create this kind of anxiety in the, mm-hmm. in the audience. It's meant to create anxiety. And that definitely happened with this episode. Right. But we open up on what Ray meditating. So this was seated a couple of episodes ago yeah. with good old Adam <laughs> teaching him how to meditate. And he's got the music. He's just sitting there like a little Buddha. What do we make of that? Why do you think he's meditating? I mean, I think we're seeing an evolution with him. He recognizes, especially after seeing Ali, everything that happened with Adam, like he's got to make some changes. Yeah. He can't continue to live in this fashion. And so I think this is him taking those initial steps. And good old Gazzy Mm. comes skipping on in to tell him his latest idea for, and you know, Scott Ryan, as we've said so many times, he just has this wonderful way of looking at Gaz like, uh uh-huh. But he tolerates him. I think, Dean, maybe you you floated this balloon. Like, why does he tolerate him? I mean, well, he trusts him. And he's one of the few people who he knows will always have his back. Certainly, he doesn't trust Freddie or, or anybody else. Uh, he doesn't have Bruce yeah. anymore. So this is somebody who he knows he can trust. But he's such a, I don't know what you would say about him. Yeah, uh, I think it was funny the way that, you know, first of all, yes, there's Ray meditating. And as you said, that sort of links back to Adam. And then for the second episode in a row, Ray's peace is disturbed by Gaz and one of his harebrained scenes, right? Last, <laughs> the previous ep, it was him stuck on a balcony. Now he's got this great idea for porn that's completely uh, clueless. And when he comes in and he starts talking, to, <laughs> he starts talking to Ray. And then he's sort of like half distracted. And then he, he goes, 
what's this crap? And turns, smashes off the um, the dolphin yeah, music yeah. that Ray's got going. He's like, that's not compatible with me. I just thought that cracked me up. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and looking around, this is where I'm, I'm just realizing that Ray's house is so spare. You know, it's as spare as he is. It's got this very modern kind of Danish modern look to it where everything is just precisely where it should be it's it's really interesting set design and art design there's just like one picture of Brittany here there's one this there's it's not there's no clutter and that that sort of is gonna is is in stark contrast to later when we see where gaz you know what he what he's done to the place that he's staying in the the garage that's been renovated really upgraded since bruce lived there so the next scene i love when they show ray shopping or just doing really mundane things i don't know it just really tickles me and as he's coming out of the shopping (laughs) center he sees his old boxing gym boxing has been like a recurring theme in the show and uh, at least in the first two seasons Uh, but it seems like he stepped away from the boxing gym i mean that's what the owner kind of says hey you know i haven't been here in a while and uh, do you have any sense of what all that is yeah for me personally i know that the gangsters in melbourne and in australia it's probably the same over there but certainly in melbourne and sydney they love the boxing and the kickboxing if you go to any of those events in australia if you wanted to if you were a cop and you had outstanding warrants you would just sit outside of the main entrance of there and just pick up half of the underworld of melbourne because they're all going to be there so they're always uh, that's part of Many of them, many of the really hard crooks in Melbourne and Sydney came up as boxers or kickboxers mm. and then transformed into gangsters. And so that whole scene is intermeshed with the Australian underworld without a doubt. Gotcha. So the guy who owns the gym, I don't remember his name, but Dean, like if I uh, had to Bob. think. What? Bob? His name's Bob. If I if I Bob. had to think of like the biggest stereotype of a good day mate Australian, it would be this guy because he's got the long, you know, too long bleached blonde hair, super leathery, super tan skin. And, you know, he's he's still really built, even though he's a very, you know, mature guy. There's just something about him that I'm like, oh, okay, that's just like my stereotypical image of an Australian man. Obviously, the boxing gym is a device, obviously, that's going to play out in a couple episodes. But I think just in terms of the character, he's been so solitary in his work. Mm -hmm. He's been so kind of singularly focused on the job. It just happens to be there. And it's a connection to who he was, who he used to be, you know, Mm -hmm. his kind of youth. And I think that when, you know, when we, when we get into these kinds of crossroads, I think that's a, a natural thing to do is to go back to, Mm-hmm. past to kind You're of reconnect it's a lovely little scene and it fits perfectly i thought i thought it was more than a lovely little scene i thought this was such a pivotal scene and the scene that directly follows it when we spoke to damon and we were saying that his character freddie was interesting for what we didn't know about him right so we really only know freddie through the club and what he how he interacts with ray we know virtually nothing about his backstory we meet plenty of people through ray in his professional work but apart from (laughs) the characters that he's lost we often don't meet anyone that knows him from quote the old days let's say and it's clear that when bob says oh you're still cracking heads you know blah 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 that he knows who ray really is and what his Mm -hmm. job was and that speech he gives him then about do you enjoy what you're doing it echoes ali saying are you happy and you can see that it really makes Ray think, wait a minute, you know, what's going on? And directly following this scene where you can see it's got Ray's wheel turning, he then cuts straight to him sitting in a pub. Mm-hmm. He's at the bar. He's nursing a beer. 
He's just sitting there solitary. He looks a bit morose. He looks cross. And he sees a bunch of young guys all having fun and yelling and, and around the pool table and, and just enjoying life. And then it cuts back to him and he's just sitting there and he kind of sighs. And those two scenes that go together, it's like that's the aftermath of him. He's, he's processing what Bob started in his head. I just thought they were just amazing scenes. Yeah. And Bob also says, you know, you're not getting any younger. And, and it occurred to me, mm. it's, it's true. He can't be the muscle forever. You know, eventually he's not going to be able to crack heads together. I mean, he could rely on his weapons, but he's going to be too old to be chasing all these dinglings and trying to collect money or or whatever. Or his numbers just going to come up. Yeah, right? yeah, it's, yeah. It's like yeah. if you're yeah. in that business, you can be you can be the best. Look at Tyson. Tyson as a boxer was like untouchable, and then ran into Buster Douglas in Japan. Boom over raise the same someone could step up behind him and just pull the trigger and he's done that's the right. business he's in so i had a, a fan theory at some point i developed an idea a couple of days ago that gaz was gonna get topped before the episode out now listeners yeah, you we know nothing from, right and i just felt like there has to be a loss and if it is it's going to be gaz and one of the guys on the facebook fan book page came back to me and said and if that happens he said i'm tipping ray retires and takes over the boxing gym if he lives. And I thought, ooh, that's not a bad plot line. That's quite feasible. So we'll see how it plays out. But that's that was the uh, theory. So here we have Britty alone. There's nothing more dangerous than a bored teenager alone <laughs> in a house where there's alcohol, there's God knows what, there's who knows what's in every little nook and cranny in the house, porn. And this, in this case, she's snooping around and she finds the gun. Before she finds the gun, what's interesting is she, she wanders into his room. I don't think she knows why she's there, but she's right. just sort of oh, yeah. opening and closing drawers. Mm -hmm. But she puts on his jacket. Mm -hmm. She puts on that green sort of military style jacket and parallel of trying to you know stand in his shoes or whatever i don't know i never did that with any of my parents clothes but i oh yeah I, I can see that i can see putting on my dad's jacket or you know your boyfriend's right. shirt okay. or stuff like that yeah definitely when she finds that gun to brian's point very rarely ever being any score there is music uh when she finds the gun there's this tense little bit of music that starts playing and i was sure that something really, really bad was going to happen. She was going to hurt herself or accidentally shoot somebody else. And she's being very reckless with she clearly does not understand how what the danger is that she's holding in her hand. And it, he's protected her from his world. But in a way, it's made it more dangerous for her because she doesn't mm. she's not sort of taking seriously what the gun means when she's doing the pew, pew, pew. And then yeah. she like holds the <laughs> The barrel yeah. next to her mouth and blows. It's just like, oh my God, oh, please God. stop. Please don't. Yep. You got to understand that in Australia, you could get a thousand kids have never seen or held a handgun. Probably 10,000. So, right. But like, her, she doesn't like, have. It's, the, no, it's not real. You know, I found guns in my house, uh, my dad's hunting guns. And I was like, <gasps> and I like backed away from the closet. Like, I wouldn't have dreamed of picking them up. I would have been really, I mean, I was really shocked to see it. And she doesn't really mm. have that reaction. Right. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, throughout the entire scene, she's like a criminal mastermind, right? You know, I mean, yeah, she really is. I mean, like she, she I mean, like her reaction is really interesting. She is her father's daughter, mm -hmm. right? Because she yes, says, she's oh, like, shit. Yeah. She's like, oh, crap. And then she's like, okay, what do I do? And then concocts his plan to like cover the hole in the wall. I mean, it's like, and she like mm -hmm. just gets into action. She doesn't lose her cool. 
No, it doesn't you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and and she is like mm. in the face of her pop. She's got balls. Yeah, totally. And we're, we're about to see more of them. And Brian, you, you stole my next note or you cribbed it, but she doesn't say, oh, crap or whatever. For the first time in the series, she says, fuck, right? Oh. So there's a little bit of indication <laughs> she's growing up a bit. She's getting a bit, uh, she's, you know, she's, uh, her language is changing. But you're right. She doesn't panic. She just goes into, all right, what do I need to do? You know, she doesn't drop the, the gun and just like, yeah she's like all right i gotta cover this shit up before dad gets home or i'm in big trouble so she just gets to work i could have sworn that when she shot the wall that i heard a body fall on the other side of that wall i don't know if you guys clocked that and i was sure that she'd shot her grandfather (laughs) like maybe he was still staying (laughs) that's what i thought but no so ray comes home and right away he he smells the gunpowder and he checks the clip and he sees that she's fired off around and she just has an answer for everything when he confronts her it's like well you know i wouldn't have had the gun if you didn't have the gun in here blah 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 blah. you know she just she doesn't back down she push it yeah she pushes back and she pushes back hard right she's not taking any shit from him about her playing with the gun and what was funny is it's an echo of ray's classic and much quoted scene with the cops when they come and I don't answer questions. So I replayed this scene. At first I thought he makes statements and she only answers questions or she only answers those statements with questions, but it turns out he asks a mixture of questions and statements. But every single one of them, she just comes back at him with with this question. Well, if it wasn't here, I wouldn't have shot it. And why do you need a gun? And da 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 da. And she's just in his face, his grill. She pushes him back to the point where he has to walk away. She kind of mm-hmm. beats him verbally in that exchange it was like wow attitude and you can see him struggling on how to deal with it how does he does he come down hard on her does he brush it under the car i mean it i like that it was such a spare written scene there's a lot of silence and you can see him struggling to figure out what to do he doesn't ground Mm. her she doesn't cry. She doesn't beg his forgiveness. He doesn't scream at her. That's what makes this feel real. Maybe if this happened with her mother, her mother would be like, get in your room. You're grounded. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But for him, he just doesn't have that kind of a relationship with her. I thought that it was guilt because he, uh, kno- yeah. he knows who he is, but she doesn't know who he is, right? So he doesn't have a good answer as to why he's got a pistol underneath his bed, which is very uncommon in Australia. Like just one in a million. So he's probably thinking ahead already, like, if I get engaged in a conversation here, we're going to go to places. <laughs> She's going to ask me questions I don't want to answer. So he walks off muttering, ah, oh, shit. And he just walks back and he puts the gun inside of the safe that's inside of his uh, wardrobe. Then we have the cut to him sitting on the couch watching something mindless. And I just thought it was really nice that she comes up, puts sits mm-hmm. on the couch, puts the pillow on his lap and lays her head down on, on his lap as if to say, yeah, okay, but that's I'm and sorry, that's really interesting. Know. After we've seen her time and time again being the teenager and rebuffing him, even after this really big moment between them, that's how it tidies up. Her approaching him and being close to him. I, I it's a really fascinating thing. I don't know. I don't think I have an answer mm. for it. I just marveled at it, and as, as we said before, there's not this, Dad. I'm sorry, or I just love you, you know, sweetie, so much. I just don't want to see you get hurt. I mean, I could almost hear the lines that it would have been on a different show. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And I just, I like yeah. that it didn't do that. It didn't go for sentimental yeah. buttons. It was a nice counterpoint to in the previous episode when he picks her up and she nixes him on the bowling and crushes him a little bit there. And then the very next thing he says to her is, "So." 
what's been happening? And she's head down in the phone and just says, good, and just yeah. keeps typing and Ray pulls and pulls another face yeah. like she didn't even she didn't even <laughs> process that. the question. All right, guys. So now the two mates, they're sitting there watching whatever they're watching. So this is Gaz's place. He's definitely upgraded it since Brucey lived there. It's really, you know, nicely painted and put together. And it's very messy. And there's like a random roll of toilet paper on the side of the side table. And it, it, it's going to get messier in the upcoming scenes. But it's just, I, I just love it. It looks very lived one of my favorite scenes of the entire season so far. The exchange. Really? The joke. Yeah, the joke telling. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, because, again, it's Superman. such a natural thing where you're just kind of sitting around. And it's just like, I got a joke. All right. What? You know what I mean? It's like, it's yep. so, it's such a throwaway thing, but it's such a perfect mirror of buddy speak. Yeah, absolutely. Our buddy, our buddy my Daniel. Mom, my hey, mom buddy. told me that Superman joke when I was eight years old. Shit. I had heard it somewhere, but not when I was eight. Yeah. So it's just this nice little relaxed scene. I know that Ray would not be a very woke character or anything like that, but this whole exchange of him going over, getting the bag from Gaz's wife's house, the girlfriend is there. Like, of course she's going to be not hostile, but she's going to be guarded to let him in because he's a fucking hitman. She doesn't know what he's going to do. Both of the women are very tense with him there and the girlfriend is kind of following him around and when he leaves and comes back to Gaz and just says what a bitch she was, I was like, do you really need that? But whatever. For me, uh, he's true to Ray. Yeah, absolutely. You know, which is, I like the lack of compromise there for the character. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just, I guess it felt to me like a, that's a cheaper joke than the Superman fucking mm -hmm. Wonder Woman joke. She had to have a t-shirt that said women are the future. I mean, I didn't know the point, but anyway. And so he gets him his vajankle. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was a little over the top for me, but we I mean, it's gas. We did an episode on Criminal Minds about this kind of this exact thing. Men, usually men who get off on prosthetics. Um, so that's that's what it reminded me of. I put a post up on the um, Facebook fan page of Mr. Inbetween. I happened to be on my phone in the car. I was pulled over. So I'm trying to type the word vajankle. And <laughs> it's like... It took me about six goes before iOS finally gave up and went, okay, if that's what you think it is, then that's what it is. <laughs> I kept deleting, no, no, not that, not that. To end this uh, day of the Vajenko, he gets a call from his new boss. So I'm going to let you guys talk about this scene. I think that the quality of client that he has to deal with, this is the first time we're seeing him having to deal with a dickhead. It's again, it's kind of the business for him is changing. And maybe it's not worth the money to be like just a, a hand to like yeah, he's so clean disgusted. up. He's so disgusted by this. I mean, the guy that he's cleaning up after is a fucking jagoff. He's like this rich dickhead. Right? Son, his parents are coming home. So right. he's got to get this dead girl out of his house. She's OD'd and mm. she's just a piece of meat. I mean, it's just horrible yeah know? it's it really is it's the worst job that we've seen him have to do i mean to do mm -hmm. cleanup and he's a father of a daughter mm -hmm. and yeah. i think that and comes home for him when you put episodes three and four together and you think about the exchange he's just had with brit and what must be going through his mind about her growing up and whatever and then 
Um, you know, as you said, he turns up and it's not even the, it's not even the kid's house. Of course, my parents are going to be home. So he's a rich little prick living in mm-hmm. an expensive house of his, of his parents. He's uh, early twenties, maybe 20 something at most. So he's got enough money. He could live out. Now he's still living with his parents. Cause of course they got a big rich house and they went away for the weekend. So he got a chick over and now she's OD'd, we presume. So, and something we haven't talked about uh, for a little bit. Let us also remember that Ray lives by a very particular code that this young kid is not respecting at all. You don't know who I am for you to talk to me like this. And it's degrading. It's demeaning. Yeah, you're right. He's disgusted by it. So this is not a regular hit. It's almost like, oh, God, has it come to this? Yeah. And then when he checks in with Raphael, like, okay, what do you want me to do with her? And Raphael wants him to, you know, he's he knows exactly where he wants Ray to take her and feed her to the pigs. And you can see Ray's reaction on his face, but his voice is like, okay, no problem. Like he doesn't even hesitate verbally, but obviously it's bothering him and he gets out to the pig farm. And what does he do? He buries her. Yeah. Mm. Gives her a proper burial. I uh, really thought she was going to wake up. I had, a, I really thought that she I was going to like start coughing yeah, and then no. suddenly wake up. No, he he checked her pulse on the couch before he picked her up. He gave and, her and a good. And I know, and I know, Dean, you you made mention, I think, over messaging that you think that this might come back on Ray, and I don't think I agree with that. I think it's just again I, about Ray's code. You know what I mean? Like, mm. there's some things he's just not going to do, and that's mm. like dehumanizing it's like why you need to feed her to the pig it's inappropriate i just kill i don't know it just occurred to me because Raphael asked him directly is there anything you won't do for money and ray said no if there's enough money in it i'll do it so to talk about ray's code if i've accepted a job and that job was to feed it to the pigs and then i didn't in some way has he broken the code and is this the way that maybe things are going to come back on him because the body's found and Mm. then it's trouble for raf or trouble for the son and blah 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 and raf's like wait a minute i paid you to do a job i don't know who knows but he also seems like he's testing like Raphael is testing him like oh really you'll you'll do anything for the right man okay do this so uh, i just rewatched that scene and a couple of things nothing happens in any show but particularly this show for nothing and as ray's driving in there's a, a talk radio playing in the car and it's a woman talking to the dj about how she met her boyfriend and how he protected her at this particular time and that he was her knight in shining armor and that's the last words we hear about on the call before ray closes the door Mm -hmm. to get out and then you see him smoking just looking at the pigs and thinking then he goes to the back of the car opens up the boot and there's been a lot of comment about the concern about the actress playing that role because when he picks her up she's face up in the boot and she hyperextends so far backwards and then he throws her over his shoulder and and off he walks and that's the end of the thing but when he's looking at the pigs it's like nah this i I said i could do anything for money but now i'm not he hasn't thrown the girl to the pigs because it disgusts him he's defied raf's instructions and that's you know where i think that might come back but the closing titles on this freaked me out which I, when I rewatched, I happened to have the subtitles on. And it's the classic 60s power ballad, Stay With Me Baby by Lorraine Ellison. And only because the subtitles were on Did I Notice, the lyrics of the first verse match exactly what is going on with Ray and the body and her being dead to the point where there's a line, and I'm going to read this, and find a shoulder to lay your head upon. And that happens as he throws her over his shoulder Mm -hmm. And her head lands on his shoulder. 
And then as that verse finishes, we fade to black and he walks off into the dark. The song swells into the power chord of, of the chorus and away we go. So they cut the visual as soon as it no longer applies. Mm-hmm. And I replayed it again and went, holy crap. And that's where I started to go, right, what is going on with these end titles and, and the music selection? Or was it just that one? I don't know. But anyway, it's very cool. Okay, well, that takes us out of four. So we wrapped up three and four, and we'll be back next time to wrap up five and six, and we're getting closer to the end. Oh, my gosh. I I can't wait to see how this all wraps up. But for now, this is Lisa and her sexy, sexy beast, Killer Casting, signing off. Killer Casting was created and produced by Lisa Zambetti. Sound editing by Dean Laffin from Real World Productions. Logo art by April Laffin. Theme music provided by Amphibious Zoo Music. And Big Fat Opinions provided by Brian Allen Hill.